This is Motor Mania with Ray Addison. Now shut up and drive. On Dubai I 103.8. Hello, yes, you're listening to Motor Mania, your chance to talk cars and keep up to date with the latest motoring news as well. Still to come on today's show, I'll be chatting to the first Saudi woman to obtain her rally licence about her preparations for the 2022 Dakar rally. Uh, we'll also be finding out how kids' karting lessons could help to produce a generation of better drivers. All that plus, schools are back tomorrow, of course, and the roads, well, they're going to be busy, aren't they? Dubai police is working hard to raise awareness of the importance of driving safely. They want the first day of school to be a day without accidents, but how likely do you think that will be? And are you dreading the return to the school run? You can text us your thoughts on four zero zero one, And that is, of course, the topic of today's Instagram poll as well. We're asking, should school timings be staggered to reduce the school run rush. Head over to our Instagram page at Dubai I1038FM and click on our story to vote and I will keep you up to date with the results in just a few minutes' time. Time now, though, for some uh, car news with journalist Damien Reed. How are you doing, Damien? Good morning. We're You're all right? getting back in. It's fine, yeah. Yeah, good. Good, good, good. We're, get, we're, getting, we're, we're getting there, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Well, the weather's starting to turn now. Hopefully, so uh, some more outdoor events are on the way, um, yeah. and and airports are opening up. So a bit more international travel is happening. So the industry's starting to kick back in, which is great news for us. Which is excellent. Um, Want to just quickly chat to you about this issue of um, this poll that we're running at the moment. The concept of the staggered school start. Do you think that that could be the solution to the school run rush? It is a very difficult time, isn't it, for everybody when the school runs start up again and we've all just kind of got to get into um, that sort of niche, that sort of comfort zone where we know, you know, what time we need to leave, where where there's going to be um, bottlenecks and so on and so forth, just to sort of make our commute as easy as possible. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think the staggered idea is a great idea. Uh, mm. I, I think ultimately it will, it will save time because, you know, you see in the mornings the, the, the massive long queues and you end up spending so much time in the queue um, that you, you're dropping your child off you know, late anyway half the time because you, you're stuck in this massive queue. So I think if it staggers it out, then, you know, you, then you, you, you're making much better use of your time and your child's time at school. So, um, yeah. uh, but it's, it's good that, you know, that we're having these issues now and, and, and uh, we're, we're discussing these things for, for the first time in a long time. Well, I can tell you that um, on our poll, 81% of people uh, that voted think that a staggered start to the school day would actually help. Uh, just 19% are saying no. Um, by the way, I don't know if this is even a practical solution because, you know, um, if you're one of the people whose school day would start later, then that's going to cause, you know, other problems. It might solve the, you know, the the problem of, of congestion and things, at, uh, you know, d- during rush hour, but it might not make your life any easier if you're, you know, you're supposed to be at work and you've got to go and drop off, uh, you know, Fred and Molly. Yeah, and that, that's the other side of the coin, isn't it? And that, that's where I guess we have to start sort of thinking about, uh, you know, using the using the public transport system, or using the school bus system, um, and and have those to be perhaps a little more flexible yeah. towards the school, the the, you know, the, the various school hours. Mm. Um, so there's probably needs a rather large overhaul of all that to make sure that the timing fits. And obviously, you can't have your child sort of standing in the sun waiting for a bus. So there's got no. to be ways around it. There's there's you know, lots of discussions we had, but of course. It has to fit in with, obviously, we have to work, don't we? So, yeah, we, you, you can't drop your child off late. That means you might be late for school. 
or you, you know, leave work early to come home. Mm. But again, it goes into the whole holistic thing, doesn't it? About well, then do we work from home? Do we do we have our own yes. arrangement with our own employers to have flexi time to 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 take this in? And so I think it's a it's a holistic discussion that needs to be happening right from the very top with your, with your employers and uh, and and on the way, right down to the children. Absolutely. I mean my my son works in in London and um you know when the pan he started his new job sort of when the pandemic came around and um he, his first day at work was from you know from his apartment and he's actually you know he's gone into work for various things but now it's optional. They've just said to them you know it's optional you don't have to come in if you don't want to you can work from home as, as long as they get the work done so he chooses to work from home and I do think there's going to be a whole um sort of generation of school leavers uh, in the UK who for them that is that is actually the the new norm yeah I think so uh, and and you know we're mobile technology now um, there's no reason why you can't you know if, if you're you're parked on the side of the road waiting for your child to come out or whatever else that you can still answer work emails and whatsapps and and, and do it do a few bits and pieces there mm. um, because you can be connected remotely now or you know maybe this is a a future plan for, for designing of schools to have an, an area inside the school where you can park your car and mm. you know like you have sort of cafes sort of thing where you can yes. do a bit of work in there waiting for your child to come out or go in so Actually, that's not a bad um, idea you could have hit on something there Oh, I'm going to keep that between you and I. <laughs> I know, right? That's actually a really, really good idea. Actually, the school, the schools could charge the parents a little bit of um, sort of office space, so to speak. Uh, you know, a little bit extra on the school fees every year for uh, access to the the business centre. This is actually yeah, I mean, the, you've hit on a dynamite idea there. That's good. Somebody we, going to nick we, we have we have airport lounges. We can have uh, yeah. school lounges. Um, I guess, why? The, why not? Why not? Uh, we've had a few texts in on this four zero zero one. Thanks to everyone who's been getting involved. Uh, parents, they've been sharing their pet peeves with us uh, when they do the school run. Uh, Carla <laughs> messaged in saying, "Parents who park in off-limit spaces or right in the middle of the road." There's a reason they can't park there. It's not safe. That is that is irritating, isn't it? We're, we're, I mentioned yeah. it earlier, and I said it's normally the dads. It's not always, you know, it's mums as well. But you know, it's the it's the parent who doesn't think that the rules apply to them. Absolutely, and you <laughs> see this. You know, when schools are in neighbourhood areas with with small narrow roads in a lot of cases, and when they pull up, you know, right out the front and double and triple parked, which really closes the road for people yeah. who want to commute through. And the other pet peeve that I have about it is that people actually park on top, literally on top of the pedestrian crossing Yes, um, because it's right at the door of the school. Yes. But you physically, that means your, your ch- children have to physically walk around onto the, the dangerous part of the road where there's no. traffic. And uh, you know, it just needs to be a whole lot of consideration given for everyone else. Mm. Uh, John Messaging says, uh, I'm not looking forward to the school run tomorrow. Um, it's probably going to make me late for work. I hope this time mums aren't allowed to chit-chat in the parking lot. John, you can't say that anymore. You can't even text it anymore, I don't think. Uh, let's, let's move swiftly on from, from that one. Uh, Corinne says, with the pandemic, and I hope that the drop-off procedure is straightforward. No long goodbyes or confusion as to where to go. That is, that's another element, especially for, you know, kids who are brand new to the school. Um, you know, not everybody knows exactly where they're supposed to go. Mum and dad are a bit worried about, you know, the little one who's a bit nervous, you know, and it's that moment where you have to let them go through the school gate. And it, you know, it means you don't just want to drop off you want to park and you want to you want to take but i think now especially at the moment with safety precautions uh, very sensibly a lot of schools are not allowing parents into the school in you know inside to the school mm. unless there's you know something drastic that they sort of need to talk about it is dropping the kid off at the school gate and waving goodbye to johnny 
Yeah, I mean, maybe it's time to start, you know, thinking about similar ways to airport drop-offs or mm. uh, now we've got the, the drive-through protocol working so well with COVID and that sort of thing where you have your, your slow lane and your express lane, if you like, or and be, just be very well signposted out the front of the school, create a, a little byline, you know, where you just literally park the car, open the door, or stop the car, put it, put the handbrake on, open the door, close the door and move on mm. as you were if you were dropping someone off at the airport and, mm. and and to keep it rolling along that way is might be the way things are because we don't have the luxury anymore of being able to, you know, because of, of, of sanitization protocols to to get out and mix and socialize with, with people and wander around. It's a matter of uh, dropping and moving on. So maybe to streamline that, it might be an opportunity, to, uh, an opportune time to look at streamlining those things. Motoring journalist Damien Reed is with us. We've got him for the next 20 minutes or so. We're going to talk about some of the latest uh, car news stories as well, including uh, UK car production has plunged to its lowest uh, levels since 1950. Is due to the global microchip shortage. Uh, we're going to chat to him about that story, among others. You're back with Ray Addison on Motormania. Only on Dubai I 103.8. And I couldn't do it without Damien Reed. He is the motoring journalist. He has all the stories at his fingertips. And uh, we're talking now about UK car production. It's struggling uh, at its lowest levels, uh, lowest July levels since 1956, Damien. Yeah, this is all part of the, it's a it's a knock on effect from from the pandemic that that goes back to the the global microchip shortage that, mm. that's hit the industry, and um, because the the entire industry shut down for a period last year, and so those microchips that were waiting to be used went into other forms of things, whether it be mobile phones or dishwashers or yeah, everything now has a microchip. Posh and, toasters. Uh, Absolutely, yeah, for sure. You know, um, um, intelligent light bulbs. You know, they they, they have some sound, yeah. and so that's had a knock-on effect, which the industry is finding it very hard to to, to fight its way out of. So, only fifty-three thousand, just over fifty-three thousand cars were were, were built uh, over the month last year, and that's nearly a nearly a forty percent drop compared to July last year, which wasn't a healthy year. Mm. Um, so, it's uh, it's an issue that's not going away. It's actually getting worse, and it's having a knock-on effect. Not not just the UK issue; it's a global issue. Even here, when you look at some showrooms here, struggling to get to get their cars through. Yeah, and what about customers? I mean, obviously, they are, we know that a lot more customers have started going for second-hand cars because of the shortage in in vehicles. That, you know, and the, and the delay in times that they'd have to wait to get them. But are we seeing sort of people sort of queuing up, uh, fighting over fighting over that Rover or that Toyota? <laughs> Well, there's massive, yeah. There's there's massive cues now for uh, for for putting your order in to get things. Yeah. Um. Obviously, the very very popular, very eagerly awaited uh, uh, Land Rover Defender, which was launched this time last year, was was impacted by it, and and of course everyone had to. You know, it, it was a very much in demand car. Yeah. And that's had a big impact. So supplies are only now just coming through. We're only just starting to see them on the road now, mm. because of of that delay. Um. And some people might switch to other cars or, or various things, but you know, it, it is having an impact here. For instance, uh, Jeep has uh, stopped production of its Gladiator earlier this month, which again is a, is a is a popular model for this region because it's a big car, and they've just released a Middle East version, which is the which is made for running on sand dunes, which is great. Mm. But the issue is getting hold of stock at the moment, so uh, you know that's it, it is having an, an impact that comes right down to the dealers here. I'm thinking as well, you know, if you can't get access to that to that vehicle, whatever it whatever it might be, you know, it, it can have an effect for for decades. You know, if you because I think 
people can be quite loyal to brands. You know, if you if you if driving a Toyota, for example, we're going to talk about them in a second. But you know, if you're a Toyota driver and you like them, they're reliable. It doesn't cost that much. You know, you stick with it. But you know, if you don't ever buy that first Toyota because they they have a shortage and so you go somewhere else, we're well, going to maybe then stick with stick with that brand throughout your life. And so you know, they, these are potentially things that could have sort of knock on effects for for companies and their reputations for years and years to come. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And even more so now than, than it was, say, even, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, because uh, dealers in the industry now are, are taking a, a, a much closer look in, in taking care of customers after they purchase the car. It's mm. no longer the days have gone by of, great, we've got your money and you've got the car and we'll see you later. Now there's a whole uh, looking, after, looking yes. after the customer during the servicing of the vehicle, guaranteed buybacks, you know, where, where they, they set a, a predetermined price on the car, mm. where they say, look, you come back in two years, we'll offer you this right now. And as long as you know that we will hopefully sell you into another one. So it's a matter of keeping those customers for the next one and building up that brand loyalty. So, yeah, if you can't get hold of your, your favorite car right now and you mm. go, OK, well, I'll go next next door and see what they've got. There's a good chance that you may have um, they may have lost you for a long time. And, and, and then it, it, there's also the further flow on effect that, you know, if you've got a, a, a child that's just sort of entering college and out of school looking for their first car, then there's quite often there's deals to be had. You say, look, I'll buy this and I'll buy this for you know for my son and my daughter, um, and and that might be their first car, and that yes. is an incredibly bonding experience yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Say, well, my first car was a Toyota or a Nissan or a Honda or a BMW or whatever, and how many people do you know where they said, look, that's all I've owned or you know mm. I've only ever owned that model car because the because that's the first one I had. Yeah, um, and these are issues that they're now having to look at for sure. <laughs> Uh, not all doom and gloom. Uh, there is a new car that might interest us, but uh, only if you've got enough uh, enough money in the bank. Uh, this is the Rolls Royce. Yeah, the uh, the, the, the Rolls Royce Cullinan, the SUV. It's been out for. It, it came out in 2018 initially. It's just been uh, uh, mildly updated for for 2021, and it's a car that probably has. Of all the Rolls Royces, it probably has a closer relationship to to the Middle East than, than any others because mm. it's you know it's an SUV which which stopped the world in its tracks going back you know ten years ago when the when rumours first started coming out that Rolls Royce are going to build an SUV. Are you kidding me? Mm. Um, but you know that's where Rolls Royce's heritage came from. If you're going right back a hundred years ago, they built dependable cars that could go anywhere. They had a they had a race back in the, uh, in the early 1900s called the Paris to Peking, which was entered by Charles Rolls and and in one of his cars. Um, and so that's where the heritage came from. And they were popular here in the in the well, let's say popular as far as new cars were back then. But you know. 1916, 1917, Lawrence of Arabia, T.E. Yes. Lawrence, um, ha- had six. He ordered six Rolls Royces for, uh, for, his, for his, his adventures. So, wow. you know, um, it's, a, it's a car that has a strong heritage in the, in the region, all of that style of Rolls Royce, you know, all, all-terrain vehicle. And the Cullinan kind of fits in with that. It is a genuinely a vehicle you can take into the sand dunes if you, uh, if you risk uh, scratching that expensive paint. Yeah. But it, it, engineering-wise, it absolutely has has it's just as capable as any other uh, all-terrain off-roader for sure. And it's got X-Drive architecture, so it can it can it has five drive modes. Yeah, so it's it's obviously you know, 
the modern day Rolls Royce is, is part of the BMW family, mm. and so the X Drive architecture, which comes from the BMW X5 initially mm. and then and flows through, is, has been adapted for this one. So, what it has now, and being a Rolls Royce, everything is very subtle. There's no massive telltale signs that you know, this is this is the the off roading settings or whatever else. It's one button that says off road. That's all you press. Yeah, one button, and uh, and straight away it automatically adapts to. The five, uh, any of the five drive modes. Now, we don't have snow here, but we do have mud, we have mm-hmm. sand, we have gravel, uh, rutted tracks. And so it uses sensors, it uses cameras, it uses all sorts of things to work out the, 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 the slippage under the wheels, mm. the ascent or descent of the car, um, and uh, the, the steering inputs and various other things to work out which, which mode it needs to be in. And the only other real indicator is that... Um, is that it also has a hill descent control, which yes. basically means you you press that one button against just one button, and you take your feet off the pedals, and the car will go down the steepest of hills, even on a on sand and and very rough gravel, and it will it will alter the the traction control to make sure that it does just doesn't break into a into a slide and go you know down the wow. hill as a sled, um, and they're the only two things that tell you inside the car that it's off road capable. But, you know, we've taken it into the desert, we've mm. taken it into some sand dunes, um, and we've taken it across some gravels and, and, and wadi-style uh, terrain before. No issue at all, and it's, uh, it's, it is the ultimate four-wheel drive, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, just quickly, the price? Uh, yeah, well, so the price, it, not all that cheap. Um, uh, starting at about 1.9 million dirhams. Oh, is that all? <laughs> That's all, um, and and then you go up from there. So you can there's an endless array of bespoke options that you yeah. can get for the car. Um, you know, there's a sliding tray underneath the rear that in, in the test car that I had that that popped out two electrically operated leather seats, so you can oh, sit okay. on the back. So you so when you're at the polo, you can sit on the on the tailgate and with your with your beverages and snacks and cucumbers. Okay, <laughs> nice. But you can there's all sorts of. Um, I mean. There's, we could go on for hours. Yes. It's literally an endless array of <laughs> options you can get. It's just a matter of speaking to them. Uh, we're rapidly running out of time, but just quickly, I just want to um, have a quick word for the Toyota Corolla. Um, it sold its 50 millionth uh, Corolla. Uh, it took 55 years and 12 generations to do it. Um, just just a quick word on the Corolla and its kind of place in, 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 the, in motoring history. Oh, it's such, it's one of the most crucial, important cars. It overtook the, the Volkswagen Beetle. It's been around since the 1967, I think, was the first, was the first Corolla. Um, it's just one of those badges that is, um, it, 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 it's so important to, to the automotive industry. It really launched the Japanese industry onto the world stage. Um, and it's a car that we all know, and it's, it's never deviated from its, from its uh, original mandate of being, uh, affordable entry level motoring to to get people into for the masses it's it's mm. the mo- it's the ford model t of our of our of our generations mm. and our parents generations as well and uh 50 million i mean yeah there's, there's and there's no sign of that abating either that's yeah. going to go on forever it's a remarkable effort from toyota uh damien thank you so much for joining us sadly we are out of time this week um what have you got coming up uh, we're straight back into Formula One, so um, I'm heading into the studio now for yep. the uh, for the Belgian Grand Prix, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I'll be writing up a story. We did we did our first international car launch in a long time this week. So I was in San Francisco on Tuesday oh, for nice. the Infiniti QX60 yep. um, SUV. It's all under embargo, so I can't say much more. But yep. <laughs> uh, watch this space; it's a luxury SUV. So I'll be uh, writing that one up a bit later on this week. Fantastic! Uh, at Damien Reed on social media, if you want to follow Damien's journeys and adventures, we really appreciate you uh, spending your Saturday. 
Saturday with us this morning, Damien. We'll chat to you next time. Fix it or flip it. Not sure I'd exactly describe it as the driving seat. Don't feel completely in control at the moment. Let's see his Matthews on line up at number eight. Matthew. Morning, Ray. Hey, there he is. You can hear me. That's uh, good news, isn't it? I mean, talk about building anticipation for the show. I know, right? What's going on there? How are you doing? You're right. We'll We're ready. We're ready to go. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, before we get into uh, the reason why you're here, and we're going to have to speed this up because we want to get as many callers in as we would normally do. So we need to be a little bit quicker. Um, uh, live car valuations on your radio this morning. Uh, uh, Dawn's coming up uh, next. And after that, it could be you. Uh, Matthew, just want to get your view on this school run situation. Do you think that staggered starts could help to um, reduce the congestion? Yeah, I think it's a really, really good idea. I mean, when I'm out around that school drop-off time, mm. you always see just so many cars just blocking the road. And yeah. They're just everywhere. So I think it makes sense. I heard a friend of mine say that they're also doing a drive through style, literally like McDonald's where you drive in, really? drop the kids off, carry on. Yeah, yeah. some of the schools have adopted that. Um, but I, I think I think that's an idea that's uh, that's perfect. Let's stagger the volume of people mm. that are arriving at the school all at the same time. I think a lot of schools they try and they try and set up very sensible policies, you know, to, in order to sort of facilitate all of this. But sometimes parents go rogue. You know, they go. Normally, it's dad. Dad goes rogue. He's like, why do I need to, you know, queue? Why do I need to stick to the system? I'm just going to pull over here and kids just run, run as fast as you can across the road. Yeah. And, you know, and I, th- I think, it, you know, it is, it is our stats that can be a, a bit to blame for that. Um, so we all, you know, we just don't all have to play the game, don't we? Yeah, and I think, you know, let's always remember safety. We, we must mm. make sure that, that around school times, even, you know, sometimes if I'm late for a meeting or, or, or whatever, I put the children's safety first. I'll, I'll go through there at a snail's pace. Nice. I won't get mad that the, the, the road's blocked. I mean, um, let's, let's always remember that. It's frustrating, but hopefully this uh, new rule with staggered times will help to, to make the congestion a little bit smaller. Yeah, well, just, just to clarify, it isn't a rule that's in place. It's just something we're thinking about. We're just wondering, could this be part of the, of the solution? So um, uh, you never know. You never know what might come in the future. Let's get down to the reason you're here, though. Uh, you're here to do live car valuations. Should we go straight into it? Yep, let's Good. do it. All right, let's go to uh, Jide's up coming up in a minute. But first, let's have Dawn on line number seven. Good morning, Dawn. Good morning. Hey, how are you doing? You're right. Sorry about all that. I'm earlier. good. Sorry no, no, no problem. No, it was, it was embarrassing. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're doing all right now, though. Uh, good to have you on the line. Uh, what would you like to ask Matthew? Um, hi, Matthew. Morning. Um, yeah, I have a, a Range Rover HSE uh, 2012 um, in good condition, 130,000 kilometres, and um, thinking of selling. So, first of all, how much she thinks it's worth. Another, another question is the best way to sell it. I'm not really sure how to start, how to go about it. Matt. Yeah. Morning, Dawn. Um, what's the kilometres, sorry? 130,000. OK, that car is around 50,000 dirhams, 50, 52,000. Um, beautiful car, but they can start to become expensive now. I mean, it's a nine-year-old car. Um, yeah. I, I imagine the bills are creeping up. In terms of the yeah. best way to sell it, Look, there's two ways to sell cars. It's go to traders and, and these companies that cash cars. They're always going to offer you 20 to 25% less than, than you can sell yourself. Of course, when you sell yourself, you've got to manage that situation. But, you know, look at the major websites. So you've got 
Dubizzle, Dubicars, Yellow Motor. Um, Dubizzle do a managed service where they'll actually sell the car on your behalf. So there's, there's fees involved, but they'll get you the market price. Car Switch is another company that do the same. Um, so I, I, I think the, 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 the best approach for you is if you, if you don't mind taking a few calls, put the car online yourself with some nice pictures. If it looks like it's getting a little bit too much work, reach out to a managed service like the Bizzle have or, or Car Switch. And then finally, if that's all too much, then bite the bullet and, and look to, to go directly to a dealer or a cash buying service. But I don't think it will get that far, not at the moment okay. in this market, because used cars are selling quite well. Ah, good. Okay. Thank you very much. Hope that helps, Dawn. Thanks very much for yes, your call. That's, that's extremely helpful. Lovely. Excellent. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Let's go to uh, line number six now and uh, Jide. Good morning, Jide. Hi, good morning. How are you? Yeah, very well. What would you like to ask, Matt? Yes, I've got uh, a 2017 Red Lancer, mm-hmm. Mr. Lancer, and um, the kilometer is 104,000. Mm-hmm. So I'm contemplating selling this car or giving it to my daughter for her 18th birthday. Ah, okay. So what's going to be the deciding factor, the amount that you can get for it, and, and what the alternatives mm-hmm. could be that you'd buy? Uh, I would. I'm planning on getting an SUV now, uh, Mr. Bishop Pajero. Mm-hmm. So, if I can get a, a good amount on it, obviously I would prefer to sell it and then get my daughter a Toyota. Otherwise, she's getting the Lancer. Exactly. Okay, great. Okay, so uh, 2017 Lancer, 104,000 kilometers, Matthew. Yes. Is it the e- e- is it the EX uh, 1.6 or is it two liter? Yeah, it's 1.6. It's 1.6. Okay, so if it's the 1.6, that's really quite a good entry-level car for your daughter. So I would actually look at that strongly as an option. In terms of value, I imagine late 20s may be just knocking on the door of 30,000. Um, but to be honest with you, as a starter car, that seems ideal. You know, a four-cylinder 1.6 engine, um, they're very reliable, the Lancer, and, and it will be easy to resell when your daughter's probably been through uh, the first 18 months, two years of the car. So either way, you're looking at around 30000 or keep for your daughter. Wow. Does that help you to decide today? It does, it does. I don't decide it. Yeah, what have you decided? What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> she's getting it, she's getting it. She's getting the Lancer. It, but is that, yeah, okay, it. so that's going to make you happy, but is it going to make her happy? She probably wanted a brand new car, didn't she? I don't think she was. She'll be very happy to have this. You th- oh, you th- is she aware that she's going to get a car from Dad? Not yet, not oh, yet. Oh, okay. Yet. So it's not, hopefully she's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, whatever she gets, I'm sure she'll be delighted, I'm sure. Thank you very Thank much you for giving much. us a call today. Uh, let's go to line number one. Uh, we've got Amit on the line. Good morning, Amit. Good morning. Hey, good How morning. Are you? What would you like to ask, Matt? Yeah. Um, I'm driving Toyota Corolla 2015 model, mm-hmm. and this is a 2.0 engine, and uh, uh, I have driven 175,000 kilometers. Mm-hmm. So I would like to know what price I can sell it for, and what is the best option, uh, you know, economical option SUV mm-hmm. uh, with ah. a low mile, uh, with a low maintenance. Ah, okay, so you want to you want to go to the SUV. Yeah, obviously okay. the family is, uh, has, has grown bigger. Nice. So I may need a bigger car now. Loving it. Thanks for calling, Amit. Let's, uh, let's find out from Matt. Uh, a, a very similar question. I mean, Amit, morning. Is it the, is it the SE? Is it 1.6? Is it the 2 litre? 
Is it it is SE 2.2 uh, liters. The the SE 2 liter. With those kilometers, yeah. I imagine around 31-32,000 is the price. Um, in terms okay. of what you can move into, it depends if you want to stick with Toyota and how big a SUV. I mean, if you're happy with five seats, you can go as small as something like the RAV4. Um, I would look also across things like the Fortuna, um, which is good. Uh, the X-Trail, uh, Nissan X-Trail. I would look um, at an Xterra as well. If you want to go a bit newer, they've got the new shape Xterra out now. Um, okay. But I would, sti- I would stick with Japanese. You've probably enjoyed the reliability of your Corolla and the, and the, the, the great maintenance costs. So I would stick, yes, I would stick with nice. Nissan and uh, Toyota. Uh, and it depends okay. on your budget, but there's a, there's a few options there for you. How does that um, sound? Actually, yeah, that sounds good. But, the, you know, the budget is uh, close to like 50 or 60. I would still, um, you know, prefer a second-hand car, not a, not a uh, brand-new car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Within that budget, the, will I be able to buy that? Yeah, you can look at, as I said, the, the, uh, it won't be new, but you can look at things like the, the X-Trail and the Fortuna, Nissan X-Trail, Toyota Fortuna. Uh, the good thing okay. about the Fortuna is seven seats. So if you do have family visiting or you do need to move uh, a few people around, that gives you the option to have the seven seats when you need them. Okay. But uh, can I get the Fortuna for 50 to 60? You can. It, it, will, it will obviously depend that you have to go back a little bit older. Um, but also, I would if you if you can live with the five seats, I would consider the the X Trail as well because the X Trail will be a little bit more affordable than the Fortuna. Um, but oh. yeah, I, I think I think you'd probably be buying a 2015 Fortuna uh, at your within your budget. Um, oh, so okay. yeah, that that seems to okay. be a good option for you. Um, it, I'm, that I'm helps. Fi- Sorry, I've yeah, that- got one more question. Go for it. Yeah, um, I can obviously you've informed me the websites where I can sell those cars. So can I buy the cars from the same websites, right? Like Cars24, yeah. you informed, and you informed uh, CarSwitch and Dubizil. Yeah, look around these sites. You know, it's it's not like buying a cup of co- cup of coffee. You need to take your time and look around properly. Cars24, okay. CarSwitch, Dubizil, Doobie Cars, Yalamota. Okay, okay. Equal advertising for all this morning. Uh, thanks very much, Amit, for calling. Uh, let's go to line number two and uh, NASA, and it's pr- uh, apt, actually. You're on line number two, and you've got two cars you'd like to ask about. Hello? Good morning, NASA. How are you doing? Uh, you are right? Good morning. Good morning. You're Thank calling you, about yeah. two vehicles this morning. Uh, yes, I am. Uh, what's the first one? Uh, first one is a Range Rover Sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, V6 Supercars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 2015, 20, 2015 model. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has done 85,000 kilometers. Okay. It's under warranty without tire motor. Did you say 85,000? 85,000. 85,000. Okay, so just you've got a slightly dodgy line. So uh, we've got a Range Rover Sport Supercharged V6 2015, low mileage. Uh, well, no, not, well, it's not that low. It's 85. Uh, um, good condition, um, white, and it's under warranty. I've got a note here. Um, that's yeah, that's the first one. Let's see what Matthew has to say about that. Uh, that car around 150,000 150, for um, the V6 with those kilometres. Okay. 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 Um, and would it matter if it's in mint condition? Oh, well, look, mint condition will help you stand out from, you know, the, the other 30 or 40 cars that are probably out there online of that year. Um, okay. But as I say to 
anyone, go out and, and, and check the prices online and see what, what people are advertising for. Position your car, you know, mid to the top end range if you think it's really exceptional, but make sure that you, you, you market your car as that, you know, exceptional condition, et cetera. Um, but you okay. know, it's your car and you, I'm only here to give you a guide. If you want to start it at say 159 or 165, you can. My feeling is it will sell for, around, for yeah. around 150 and the immaculate condition and the lower kilometers will help make it stand out against the competition. And the second yeah, car is a Golf, NASA. Yeah, and I have a, also a Golf GTI, which is uh, again, again like, almost like a capsule car because it's done 72,000 kilometers in 10 years. Hmm. So that, and I've got it's a note here that's a showroom condition as well uh, yeah. for the age. Uh, full service history, Golf GTI 2011, 72,000 kilometers, Matthew. Yeah, the good thing is Golf GTIs are selling really, really well at the moment. And that car with such low kilometers, I mean, it, it would normally be selling for, if it had higher kilometers, it would normally be selling for probably mid-20s. Um, but I think you could start that car much higher 32, 33, uh, and then see how people react to that. But again, you've really got to market this as, uh, I don't know if it's one owner, you bought it brand new, but that would be yeah, like I headline. Brand new. But yeah, first owner, absolutely immaculate condition, one of a kind type of thing, um, and put it on for early 30s, 32, 33. Mm. Um, it will be a lot higher than what's out there on the market, but um, that is that is exceptionally low kilometers for a Golf GTI. There will, there will be none out there coming close to that kilometer level. What's happening then, Nassie? Uh, are, are you heading home? Hello? I'm, I was just wondering why. how come you're letting both go at the same time or have you got a fleet of cars? Uh, and no, just no, thought... no. I think it's real. I've had these cars for a very long time. Yeah. I keep thinking of buying an electric car. Oh, okay. Uh, so I wanted some advice on that, on which electric car, used car, mm-hmm. you would recommend Okay. And what price point? Well, Tesla Tesla dominate here for electric cars, um, and because they dominate, that's where the best values are. Uh, their entry level car is the Model Three, uh, and that's yeah. where you're going to get you're going to get the most bang for buck with the Model Three, and that's probably where I'd recommend uh, going. If you want space, then you've got to go to the Model X, which is their SUV, and then if you want luxury and performance, you go to the Model S. But if, for, for value-wise, uh, and, and if it's your first foray into electric cars, I would probably go for the Model 3. And you can start to see them um, out there on the market in uh, secondhand for the low 100s now. Um, so, you know, 100, 110, and that's a great place to start to see if you like living with an, ele- with an electric car. If not, you can move it on without losing too much money and go back to an ICE engine. Hope that helps, uh, NASA. And uh, that's, that's exactly how it works. We've had 15 minutes there of just back-to-back calls, and that's what we like on Motor Manias. Matthew Davidson here, car uh, valuation expert. He's going to give you a live valuation. Recommend whether you should fix or, or flip your car. Let us know the make, the model, the year, the mileage, the condition. And you can then ask as many follow-up questions as you like. Fiona will be after this break. Fix it. Or flip it. You're going to need a number this morning. David's coming up, but first let's have a chat with Fiona Matthew. Good morning, Fiona. 
Good morning. How are you doing? You're right. I'm fine. I'm actually on the way home from the garage, having Ooh. picked up my car this morning. Ooh. So my situation: I'm a fix-it-all flipper. I oh. am driving a Land Cruiser GXR yes. 2009, 300,000 kilometres, and I love my Land Cruiser. I bought it brand new, so it's only been with me. Yeah. Um, but what I'm finding now is it's been the most reliable car ever in the entire world, and the exterior is fantastic. There's no rust or anything on the exterior. The interior is a 2009 interior, yeah. which doesn't bother any of us. I've got three teens, 17-year-old, 14-year-old, 12-year-old. So I spend my life driving them around. Fortunately, yes. I'm a teacher, so the school run, they are with me in the morning. Yes. Um, I spend between 7,000 and 9,000 dirhams a year to keep it on the road mm-hmm. as far as repairs are concerned. Since I got back from the summer, I've replaced the battery, and I've just been to a phenomenal garage um, in DIP to get my AC fixed after trying other garages. What I'm now realising is, and I have managed to secure it, is I have got a garage now that deals with Land Cruisers and old Land Cruisers. Mm-hmm. But my big question is, is the garages are all saying I would be crazy to get rid of it. Right. And my friends are all telling me, get a new car. Right. Why do you think that is, though? Why, why do your friends think you I should... I think because, uh... it's a bit, because it is an old car and Dubai mm. doesn't have old cars. People don't keep cars in Dubai. People um, turn over their cars. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know... I. <laughs> I don't have any, um, I'm, I'm fortunate, I'm very careful with my money, I don't have any debt in Dubai, and mm. I don't like being a single mum with three kids. I don't like that idea that, you know, of having you a don't loan know what's around the corner, kind of yeah, and exactly. that you, can, you know, if you need to go, you need to go, I and we totally know that happens agree. in Dubai. Yeah. Um, and I also think, at the moment, if it's costing me 9000 a year, if I'm getting a car loan, um, you know, again buying a second-hand car, it's full of stress. Mm. There's no guarantee that you're going to buy one and not spend money on it if you're getting a second-hand. Buying brand new, you're talking into different realms of money, and my kids are not going to be happy about scaling down to a squashy car that they can't fit their friends, their bags. I mean, they're big kids now. We managed in the UK in a tiny four-focus, and we know what that's like. Also, from a safety angle... I'm not overly keen on driving a small car because no. I've never done it here. Mm. Um, and obviously, the Land Cruiser's a bit of a beast. Mm. So I just would like Matthew's advice, fix it or flip it. Well, I think you've come to the right place. And I, th- I think, Matthew, I think we know what the, uh, the answer's going to be, don't we? Yeah. Um, morning, Fiona. <laughs> I mean, you're a breath morning. of fresh air. You're a breath of fresh air. I mean, what you, what, ignore the Joneses um, yeah. that care about uh, superficial things. You're doing everything that I tell people to do in Dubai. Plus, you've got one of the most desirable, easiest cars to maintain and resell. Definitely keep the car. Uh, everything you said about maintaining it, you won't spend 9000 a year. You might spend one year 9000 but you should yeah, be able to run that right, car Matthew. a lot more... Yeah, a lot more Absolutely right. It, it differs. It was 9,000 one year. I think last year, obviously, with lockdown and not running it, I think it came in about 4,000. And mm. obviously, if I need new tyres, it's higher than if I don't need new tyres. I mean, the big thing is, is we have had a few incidents where we have been stuck on the side of Shakespeare Road. But again, you know, I've got the tow truck as part of the insurance. They, Apart from the inconvenience of mm. getting taxes, we're talking about what, it was in the workshop for four days, it was the radiator that had got a hole in it, so it overheated. Four days later, I had it back, and it was the cost of taxes. Yeah. 
It would make yeah, it makes, so look, definitely makes sense to keep it. But I mean, we are in the business of valuing. So just in, just out of interest, Matthew, what what could Fiona get if she was to sell it? Seventy five thousand all day long. Um, but you know, it's not going to massively depreciate. You know, it might lose um, five or six thousand each year. It's just it's just not worth selling it. It's such a great car. You can move seven eight people around in it. Um, keep it. That's even, that's all we need to talk about. Keep that car. Even at three hundred thousand kilometers, I think I'm pretty sure Fiona. If you did say three hundred thousand kilometers, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, even it's with... been everywhere. It's been to Salala. It's been to Oman. <laughs> it's been everywhere. It's had some fun. So even at the, even These with that cars, mileage, we, yeah. But we talk about it, Ray. These mm. are one of the few cars you can get away with a higher kilometers. Okay. You'll see dealers selling these cars for 75, 80K with uh, 270, 300, 350 kilometers on. Hmm. Keep it, it, that car will run comfortably till half a million. Wow. Comfortably. So, so uh, even if you could get 75,000 uh, for it, Fiona, you wouldn't want to let it go, do you think? Oh, no, not no, at all. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I think that would be a very nicely kept car that was 75 grand. I think I'd have to um, get my entire interior, interior ripped out and restarted again. You know, we eat on it on the way to dropping off kids at the weekend. So it's uh, a functional car. But that is fantastic. You know, when you're getting two different opinions and you're just wondering, I mean, obviously the next option will be, we can go reconditioned engine, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many options with this car because the bodywork is absolutely intact. Um, that I'd rather spend the money on getting it sorted than yeah. have a car that I don't know what future of that's going to be. Thank you so much for calling, Fiona. Really appreciate that. Uh, very refreshing call, as Matthew said. Let's uh, hear from uh, David now on line number one. Good morning, David. Good morning. How are you doing, guys? Yeah, doing really, really well. What would you like to ask, Matthew? Excellent. Yeah, I've got a uh, 2015 Patrol SE specification with uh, leather seats. And only 45,000 kilometers. Okay. You're the first owner I see here. Um, I am, yes. And it's a full leather interior. Yes, it was an option that was available for the standard model when I bought it. Okay, fantastic. And you're thinking that you just want the valuation or you're thinking of changing? Uh, I'd like to see what it's worth because I'll probably be leaving Dubai in about 10 months' time. So I don't know if I should get rid of it now or maybe just hang on to it. Okay, Matthew. Morning. Uh, a great car, another great car that sells incredibly well here in the region and with super low kilometers. Probably value-wise, I would say 110, 115,000. Uh, and you'd sell, it, you'd sell it very quickly as well because uh, a lot of these cars, they like to go out to places like Oman and Saudi because there they clock up huge kilometers fast because they move from uh, city to city and the distance between these, you know, Riyadh, for example, and um, Mecca and places like this are huge. So that would be low kilometers for them and they'd pay quite well for it. But um, yeah, I would say around 110,000. So that's 110k. Uh, just out of interest, Matthew, I mean, what, what would you think if David's planning or thinks that he might be leaving in, in 10 months time would now be the right time to let it go or, or clo- close to the time, I would assume. Otherwise, you're just going to no, incur but- rental charges. No, definitely don't sell it. You'll, you'll sell that car price fairly in the market within a week maximum. And we're in a super cycle at the moment of, of used car prices because we had years and years of, of poor new car sales and we have a shortage in the market of used cars. And it will continue for at least another couple of years until we can get enough new cars back into the market. So no problems at all. 
drive it until a couple of weeks before you leave, then put it on the market. Hope that helps, David. Uh, let's speak to Alejandro on line number two. Did I get your name right, Alejandro? Yeah, that's right. Ah, fantastic. What would you like to ask, Matt? Right, I've got a Volkswagen Scirocco 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit old now. She's uh, it's got a 195 case on the clock. Um, I think it's, it's time to uh, let it go. I just want to to know, yeah, the valuation, to okay. see how much I could put it up for. 2013, 195,000 kilometres. Uh, I've got a note here that it's blue. Uh, it was second-hand when yep. you bought it. No issues. VW Sirocco. Uh, Matthew. Morning, morning, Alejandro. This car is around 30,000. Um, you don't see too many Sirocco's around now. Obviously, they don't make them. Um, but they're still uh, a very sleek, contemporary-looking car. Um, I, I think you will uh, you will be able to start it maybe at thirty two, but my feeling is it, it the cash will change hands around thirty thousand. Thirty thousand okay. dirhams. What what does that feel like to you then? Yeah, I think that's that's around um, the level that I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, um, definitely a, a couple of thousand dirhams more than than I was expecting. So yeah, I think it's good news. Excellent. Thanks very much for calling. Uh, Shofiel, let's speak to you on line number seven. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, sir. What would you like to ask, Matthew? Yeah, actually, I'm driving an Infiniti 250. Say it again, Shofiel, because your line just broke up a little bit there. I'm driving Infiniti 250. Yep, Infiniti 250, yep. It's a 2017 model. And I'm thinking about Changing it to a Ford Mustang EcoBoost. Okay, Ford Mustang. All right. And so what... I want the opinion about the Ford Mustang. I have seen some on online. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are North American spec. Oh, the ones that aren't American spec, yep. Yeah, so I want to know the opinion about those cars. Okay, so Matthew, I guess the question is, how much uh, could Shafil get for the Infinity, and what do you think of the uh, non-US uh, Ford Mustangs? Yeah, let's start with the Infinity. Um, it's a Q50, I'm sure. Um, that's what he said. Uh, 17. They're very nice cars, and I'm sure his is a GCC straight from Infinity. So that will be worth around uh, 88 to 90. Um, uh Regarding the Mustang, I wouldn't touch a non-GCC. Most of the imported American cars are accident damaged. I know because we, uh, as I've said before, we run an inspection business at Algo Driven called Axel Inspect, and we inspect cars all day long, and 95% of the Mustangs are uh, a previous total loss. So ignore that side of it. Um, If it's a GCC one, yeah, I really really like the the Mustang EcoBoost. incredibly efficient engine and you're looking at you know more than 300 horsepower uh, great car i definitely consider it but only by gcc um it, it will be uh, much easier to sell in the future uh, but you'll enjoy that car the performance and uh, the feeling you should always own a mustang once in your life that's what i say i uh, hope that helps you feel just moving on because i want to get more callers in uh, we'll be speaking to uh camel after the break uh, also we of course are going to be playing uh, speed quote it's nine to beat we got nine last time uh, so it's nine to beat we'll be aiming for 10 speed boat at uh, speed, speed boat speed quote after the break you're back with ray addison on motor mania only on dubai i 103.8 
fix it or flip it. We've earned our money today, Matthew, I think. It's been, it's been, a, been, a, been a tough shift today, but thank you very much for, for being with me. We've taken a lot of calls as well. Um, got one more call uh, to go, and then I think we'll try and get through as many of these SMSs as well, because we've got them all lined up. And, of course, we've got to do uh, not speedboat, speed quote. Uh, so let's speak to uh, Camel on line number four. Good morning, Camel. Good morning, hi. Uh, how are you doing? You are right? I'm fine, yeah, great. Good. How about you? Yeah, very well. What would you like to ask, Matthew? Um, the car that I have at the moment, uh, I don't really need it anymore because I got another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been driving it since uh, 2010. I was the second owner, and it was a 2009 model, so I bought it when it was uh, only one year old. Okay. This it's is... a Mercedes uh, C200 yes. compressor. And... Um, what about the uh, mileage? How, how many miles? The mileage is 151,000, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have all the accessories, like no sunroof and no leather seats, just okay. uh, normal. So it's like a stand, standard uh, interior and everything? Yeah, maybe the standard entry level. I'm not sure how, how is it is. All right, Matthew, what would you say to that then? What, fix it or flip it, and what's the price? Morning, Camel. What was the kilometres, sorry? 151,000. Yeah, these cars now, obviously, you'll be well aware they're, they're getting... Uh, very difficult to maintain that that's uh, an, an older model now with those kilometers i think the car's worth anything between 20 22 thousand um i don't think you'll get much more for it than that it is probably good to move it on if you're not using it because it just will be expensive to maintain going forward will that uh, add a little chunk for the next purchase I'm selling it because I already got my other car. Oh, now. you've got it already? Okay. So yeah, it's just... so I don't need this one anymore. Oh, okay, nice. Well, this just goes straight into the bank then. How, what do you think of the valuation oh. there? Um, yeah, I think it's a fair value. Yeah, that was I kind of what you were expecting? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, I've, I've had it for the last almost 12 years now. Yeah, you've got you've got the good use out of it, yeah, and the so mileage think, isn't uh, too yeah. high. Yeah, I think uh, it served its shelf life well. Absolutely. Well, hope you've enjoyed driving it. Thank you very much for calling the programme this morning. Uh, yeah, we've got about, what have we got? We've got about five minutes or so. So we've got to be quick. So let's go through some of these um, text messages then, Matthew. Uh, let's have a look at this one here. Uh, this is from Malefi. Malefi has got a 2014 VW Golf GTI. He says it's the lower trim. He says the one without the sunroof. Um, first owner since new in July 2013. It's done 165,000 kilometres, no accidents, and it's been serviced by VW uh, until the 135 kilometre mark. Now it's going to a different uh, person. Um, he's had to replace the thermostat twice, uh, which apparently is a known issue with this model, and he replaced the uh, fuel injectors a year ago as well. Other than that, it's in mint condition. Um, what can he get for it? Both problems, yeah, that he described are well-known with the Golf, um, but not massively expensive to fix. But that value, I would say, still is late 30s, 38, Mm -hmm. 39. Mm -hmm. Um, As we said earlier on in the show, the Golfs are are quite sought after at the moment. It's not a huge amount of the older ones on the market. So, yeah, I would start with 39,000, and I think you'll sell very close to that. Okay, uh, let's get this one here. We've got one from uh, Maximiliano. Um, He has got a Jeep Grand Cherokee Summit V8. Uh, it's 2018, 67,000 kilometres, and it's in excellent condition. Valuation on that one, please, Matthew. But he wins the award for the coolest name of the day. Oh, yeah, exactly. For sure. <laughs> I know, we've had some good for names sure. today. 
<laughs> <laughs> sure. It's just pronouncing um, them that's the problem, yes. The, 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 summits, uh, the summits up there, uh, it's the second highest trim you can get with the Jeep Grand Cherokee yep. after the SRT. Um, that car's at least 160, maybe oh. 165,000. Yeah, really nice car, heavily well-specced. Um, yeah, don't sell it for much less than that because that's, that's what it'll sell for. Okay, uh, let's let's get through as many of these as we can. Uh, Gregory says, I've got a 2014 Tahoe. It's the basic model. It's in good condition. It's got 103,000 kilometres on the clock, and he'd like your thoughts on how much you could get for it. Well, the Tahoe is one of those huge SUVs, um, eight-seater. Uh, a lot of the big families here will chase them. There's never too many on the market. But even with those kilometers, I bet that car will sell for probably forty-two, forty-three thousand. Mm. Um, very desirable, yeah. Uh, thanks to everyone who's been texting in to four zero zero one. Thanks to all of our callers as well. Really appreciate every single call that we get here to Motormania, and we get a lot, and we love that. Um, but uh, at this time in the show, we do like to play speed quotes. And uh, last time we were on air, Matthew achieved something that we never thought was possible. Just Quite frankly, he got uh, nine in 60 seconds, nine quotes. So it's a tall ask, Matthew. We're going to go for 10. How do you feel? I just want you to not throw any boats in there and I'll be fine. <laughs> no, no spe- we will not ask you to value any speedboats. I absolutely promise. Uh, now, we've got, a maximum, uh, we've got a maximum of 11 here. Okay, I hope that makes you feel better. Um, we've only prepared 11 of these um, from messages that have been sent in from our listeners. So, uh, you know, even if you manage to get past 10, you will, we'll have to stop at 11 anyway. All right? Uh, <laughs> First world problem. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay, um, so let's... Uh, let's get started in uh, three, two, one. Ford Focus 2017 Blue, 88,000 kilometres. Hatchback, second owner. Uh, 25, 26. Jeep Wrangler 2006 White, 220k. Uh, that's a TJ. That'll be still nice. 24, 25. Mazda 3, 2018, 96,000 kilometres. Around 40,000. 2016 Ford Mustang GT Red, 54,000. Oh, if it's the V8 and GTC, maybe 110,000. Toyota Prado GXR, 2016 Silver, 74,000. Good kilometres, about 105,000. Nissan Maxima SR, 2020 Maroon, 8,700. Oh, top, top spec, 135. BMW 5 Series, 530i, 2018, 23,600. Beautiful car, at least 180. Ford Expedition XLT 2018, 92,000. Uh, oh! No! Seven. <laughs> you reach for the stars, and you know, sometimes it doesn't quite work out. But never mind, seven. Bit of a step backwards, Only seven, though, isn't it? Ray. Only seven. Well, you didn't answer the. If you'd, if you'd just got in there, I think, as the, as the buzzer was going, if you'd just got in there, then I think we would have we could it. have given I you buy a... that. I want to buy that TJ, that old <laughs> the old shape Wrangler. I was sat there thinking I'll have I'll have that. For yeah. you were distracted. You were distracted. Yeah, uh, I was. Matthew, thanks so much. Uh, what's going on at Algo Driven, and um, what are you up to this week? Oh, we're always busy at Algo Driven, but my uh, focus this week's been with uh, Supercars Mangelis, which mm. I, I help help to run with the guys there. They're an amazing team. 
Um, and we're, we're planning for the new season because, believe it or not, we're only a few weeks away from, from the new season for things like supercars and off-roading. So uh, Supercars Magellis is the largest supercar club in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, more than 100 members, more than 100,000 followers across social media. Um, so we're planning. Um, you can, if you do have a supercar, uh, as long as it's uh, a relatively new one, more than 2015, um, and it's a McLaren, Lamborghini, some of the top Porsches, etc. You can join the club. If you want more info, go to Supercars Magellis on Instagram, or you can go to Android or the App Store and type Supercars Magellis and download our app. Uh, but I'm literally working flat out with the team there at the moment, ready for the new season. Fantastic. Exciting times and uh, looking forward to seeing all of those images on social media as well, because you guys post some really good content, uh, which is uh, well worth checking out. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us this morning. As always, it's been a, a pleasure. My pleasure. We'll speak in a couple of weeks. Speak soon. Cheers, Matt. Right, uh, lots more still to come on the programme. We're going to be chatting to the first Saudi woman to obtain her rally licence and talk to her about the preparations for the 2022 Dakar rally. And also, we're going to ask about kids' karting lessons and see whether you think that they could help to produce a generation of better drivers. You're back with Ray Addison on Motormania. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, if you've just joined us, this is Motormania. If you've been tuned in uh, all this time, thank you very much for listening. Really appreciate your company. Uh, we have, of course, been running a poll throughout uh, the show, as we like to do on Motormania. And this time it's kind of inspired by uh, the school run. Yes, it's coming tomorrow. The school run starts again. And we were wondering what could make life a little bit easier for people what could cut down on the stress the congestion and uh, all of the other issues that that come when you know we all return to school at the same time and one idea we were sort of floating around the office was the idea of having uh, a staggered start to the school day uh, would that help to reduce the school run rush and we posted that question up on our instagram page at dubai i 1038 fm the poll's still on there you can vote and the latest uh, scores on the doors are 79 percent of you think that it would create um would help and would make uh, life a little bit easier uh, taking your text to 4001 on that as well we've heard some people who are saying you know why are people sort of stopping in undesignated areas unsafe places things that put our children uh, at risk they're doing it because they're stressed. They're doing it because they're in a rush. And we need to cut down on that. And so could staggered starts be one of the solutions? Um, 79% of you saying yes. We'd love to see your vote. We'll give you uh, a full update on that in about 26 minutes' time at the end of the programme. My next guest is not only the first Saudi woman to obtain her rally licence... But she recently uh, became the first to compete outside of the Middle East. Now her work on and off the track is helping to change stereotypes around the world and, of course, to spread a positive message of female empowerment. Michelle Al-Obaidan joins me now on the line. Good morning, Michelle. Hello, hello. Hello. Good morning. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Um, I mean, this is um, an incredible sort of journey, literally <laughs> a journey, no pun intended, that you that you have been on over the years. And it all started as a, as a kid when your dad gave you your first quad bike. Yeah. So my, my dad got me my first son toy when I was 12, hmm. which was a quad. And growing older, I started following rally news all over the world and 
and rode dirt bikes in California desert when I was there for a ho- as a hobby. Mm. Uh, and I was there for a scholarship uh, and master's in system engineering. So the journey all started when I was uh, 12. Yep. That was when it that was kind of when it really kicked off. What was sort of the driver yeah. of, of your passion? Was it just was it just something you always loved? Uh, so when you're young you and you try to understand yourself, you reach a point where you know what ignites the fire in you. Everyone mm. asks me uh, this question, why did you pick rallies? I'm an adventure, adventurous person that yes. loves to take on challenges. Mm-hmm. Wanted to take a new path that I'm really passionate about. And I, honestly, I love seeing females in unfamiliar sports, such, such as uh, shooting, for example. Mm. So when I understood that, you know, I understood myself and I knew that is a passion I started as a hobby, hobby and now actually embracing internationally. Yeah, very, very exciting. And I know that you were instrumental in creating the first Saudi Arabian Automobile and Motorcycle Federation license for, for female rally racers. Was that, was that a long road? Like, how challenging was that? And, and how, what sort of, uh, does it give you a real sort of sense of achievement now that, now that it's here? <laughs> When I came back to Saudi, we didn't really have a rally license for mm. females back then. Well, that didn't hold me back, to be frank, and that's always what I say to people. I know it's like if you're really passionate about something, don't give up. Mm-hmm. So I went and talked to Saudi Federation to provide, uh, and provided them all the certification needed because I already took all the navigation courses and all training back then. And then within a couple of months, they gave me the, the rally license, and I was so lucky to, to be one of the first. Mm. Yeah, it's incredible. And of course, all of this has sort of been going on against the the back the backdrop of um, women in Saudi, uh, you know, earning uh, or being given the, the the right to hold a license themselves, which I believe was back in in twenty eighteen. So, you know, what sort of level of of interest do Saudi women have in in sort of motorsports and just you know sort of motoring in general? See, it was really it was really nice to pave the way to get the first license. Yes. But everyone tells me, you know, Saudi the females didn't uh, drive when you started your journey. Yes, mm. women didn't drive when I started my journey back in California. But look at my country today. Like not only women started driving, but rallying, and actually you'll find Saudi females in Formula E, Formula One. It's really picking up. And not only that, they're all they're also leading in various uh, industries in the kingdom. Yeah. And, and since uh, the, 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 the law change and the license situation changed in, in 2018, are more and more uh, women sort of seizing these opportunities and, and sort of getting onto the track? Yes. A lot, I get a lot of emails and DMs from females wanted to get, wanting to get into the sport. Mm. So you, 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 and you see it's really picking up. And, you know, we have Dakar in the kingdom. We have Baja's cross-countries, international races. We had Extreme E, Formula E, Formula One coming in December. So it's all picking up. And yeah. we're, that's only the start, you know. You'll find a lot of female participation, much participation in the next upcoming years. Yeah, I mean, you're obviously playing a, a really important role in sort of breaking gender stereotypes, and I think you know these gender stereo, uh, uh, these are sort of gender stereotypes that um, are, exist in countries all over the world. You know, it's not just it's not just Saudi, it's not just the Middle East. It, you know, it's it's the UK, and and the, you know, women. Um, enjoying and embracing and participating in and winning in motorsport motor events. It's, it's, it's something that's just booming all around the world, isn't it? Yes, definitely. 
Mm. It's been it's been busy. Let me talk to you about some of the events that you've participated in. I know that in March uh, you won the Shakya International Baja. Uh, you just finished seventh in the T3 category of the, uh, and forgive my pronunciation of this, the Baja Hispana Aragon as well. Uh, yes. You've raced in the Dakar Rally and you're currently training for the 2022 uh, Dakar Rally. You've had success um, on the track. Um, what what is it like? Uh, what is it like, sort of competing and winning and and, and what are some of the most sort of special events that you want to compete in internationally? Uh, Dakar was uh, called the Dakar experience where they let me race one of the stages, Wadi yeah. Adawatir stage mm-hmm. and Isabella Patrice's uh, rally car. Uh, regarding the races, I've been honestly, if you ask me uh, what's the memorable uh, moment, it's definitely the Baja Spain. Mm. It's the fifth round of the 21 FIA World Cup Championship. Now, it's the first round in Europe, and everyone asked me, why did you pick that specific round? Because, you know, it's the hardest, because the, the number of participation is high, and the champions of Dakar and all experienced rally racers wait passionately for that specific race because of the amount of, of competitors. And I had around 60 competitors in my category, and it was amazing to compete with champions, you know? Mm. And it was a really happy moment. I made it. I made it to top ten, and then the seventh among sixteen competitors. So, wow, it was one so far one of the best races over the year. Yes. Yeah, I mean, not surprisingly, you know, the, the, the efforts and your achievements have been, you know, sort of catching um, not just sort of national attention but international attention as well in in the Middle East and, and wider world. I, um, I believe you're in talks for a documentary series and potentially a motorsports TV show as well. What sort of things have you got in the pipeline? So far, yes, I'm in talk uh, for a documentary. We actually started shooting also a couple of TV shows. Wow. Uh, I'm really passionate about rallies. You know, I'm so happy that I'm racing in my country and we have the biggest races such as Dakar. And I really want to inspire everyone that has a dream. Mm. I journey wasn't easy at the beginning and still it's not easy. But if you have a dream and you're really passionate about something, just don't give up. Mm. I mean, your your dad obviously get, bought you... Um, uh, you know, sort of got you in, involved in, in um, sort of getting out there in the desert, uh, sort of driving. And but, but who is your mentor? Is there, is there somebody that you sort of look up to um, in the motoring world that sort of sort of drives you on, drives your passion? We have a lot of Arabian champions, right? Mm. But I always say every person that's really a, really passionate about a sport is my mentor because you get to learn a lot of things from them. Mm. Is, is there anybody, so it's just you sort of look out at the world of, of, of women who are sort of um, participating in these sports and you just sort of are inspired by all of them, really? Yes, you have Lyle Sainz, you have Sarah Garcia, you have so many names that mm. really inspire me. Mm, absolutely. Uh, where do you think this is going to take you then, ultimately? I mean, how, you know, how long do you think you'll be driving for and, and where do you think that you would like to end up? Well, I just started, my friend. I believe that I'll be racing for at least the next 10 years, inshallah, Mm. at least. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, we wish you all the best. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us and uh, telling us about uh, your journey. And uh, it really is very, very inspiring. That's Michelle Al-Obedan, Saudi female rally driver. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk about karting and uh, whether... Getting your child involved in karting from a from a, a young age could actually help to make them a better driver. We're back in the driver's seat. This is Motormania with Ray Addison. Beep, 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 yeah. On 
Sponsored by I103.8. Now, uh, are you a parent? Is your child into cars? And if they are, would you consider sending them to kart racing lessons? Um, Aside from training young people to race professionally, could it help us to train a generation of better drivers? Let's find out from Faisal Al-Salawi, General Manager of Dubai Autodrome uh, and from the Dubai Autodrome Karting Academy as well. Faisal, thanks for joining us this morning. How are you doing? My pleasure. Really good to have you on the programme. So let's get straight to this question. Do you believe that karting lessons for kids will help them to be better drivers when they become adults? And if so, at what age should they start? Um, I strongly believe in that, yes, Mm. Um, for two reasons. The reason number one, um, you realise that uh, these few seconds don't really matter on on the streets. And no matter how much faster you go, your average speed is what matters. And you realize you can just relax to your destination because it will only make two or three minutes difference, which is not worth uh, risking your uh, your life for. Okay. The second thing is... So, sorry, just to, just, feel... to, just to focus on that one, Faisal. So, you're, just if I'm understanding you, you're saying that by learning how to race and how to drive um, at extreme speed, so to speak it actually makes you much more of a sensible driver when you're in a a normal motoring environment? 100%, yes. Okay, okay. And why is that? Because you understand that the context for speed is the racetrack and not the the highway? Yes. Okay, that's a really really interesting point. Continue with your second reason. Um, the second reason is, I think there is, especially with youngsters, there is a lot of energy that needs that 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 uh, you know needs to be exerted, and mm. and the best place to do that is on the racetrack. And the best thing about it is, uh, you can actually walk home with a trophy instead of doing handbrake turns in front of your uh, friends, high school friends, mm. and sometimes you can embarrass yourself also. So that's why I believe. It, it's, it's you know club racing or professional racing is uh, is 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 better for you to 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 actually you know show your skills mm. now i mean we we don't get it much out here um in terms of um dangerous driving conditions certainly I, when i was sort of learning how to to drive in the uk i was learning on um, sort of very narrow, very thin, uh, sort of uh, windy sort of country lanes. Um, yes. I was also learning um, on sort of extreme weather conditions where you might be driving on ice and, you know, the car would go into a, spi- a, a sk- you know, skid or a slide. You'd have to learn how to control it um, and, and so on and so on, you know, going through water and, and, and driving in extreme rain and things like that. Um, so you don't really, we don't really have that out here. So in terms of, uh, young people karting do you think driving at speeds and learning how to react at speed when mistakes are made actually helps them to sort of um, not just avoid but react better when accidents happen on the road as well of course I mean one of the first things you learn as a race driver is to look ahead look Mm. not not only one meter in front of you you look you look ahead to the next two, three corners to see what's happening and and to plan your line, yeah. which is uh, which which also helps on the on the on, on the normal roads to to uh, anticipate any any problems and react uh, faster. There's that, and you definitely your reflexes become a lot uh, faster because yeah. there is inputs from the cart that you know they're not visual. You just feel them in the steering wheel or, or or the seat, which you have to react to. 
which definitely makes your natural reflex a lot faster. Mm. Okay, so so what age then should should uh, kids start learning uh, or should start karting? Officially, seven, but mm-hmm. there is a lot of parents that 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 start uh, that put their kids in karts uh, before that, uh, okay. the age of five, sometimes even four. Wow! But this is for for the for the ones that are you know adamant on taking this to uh, to a professional level. What, and, uh, what, what can a five-year-old, a four-year-old? For our academy, you start at the age of seven. At seven, okay. I mean, I, I think of somebody like um, you know Lewis Hamilton. Obviously, he was uh, born in 1985, 1993. Started karting, so he was eight, about eight years old. And obviously, yeah. you know, he's gone on to have um, just the most incredible career. Is is he sort of the the gold standard, like the poster boy for starting karting at, at a young age? Yeah, for, for the for the modern age, yes, he started he started in karting mm. and went through the ladder all the way to Formula One. So, mm. uh, yes, I believe he is. Now, I know, obviously, you've got a lot of young people down there training with you at the academy, and you're seeing young racers joining competitions as well. 13-year-old Oscar Lambert's going to be competing, competing at the SWS World Finals in Italy on a national level. 11-year-old Zane uh, El-Humassani is representing the UAE at the uh, Rotex World Finals in Bahrain later this year as well. Uh, we've got a clip of Zane. Let's just ha- hear quickly from Zane. I joined karting because I enjoyed it the first time I tried to race. I was eight then and I was fast, so I joined Dakar to take it to the next level. I learned a lot about karts. It also taught me on the personal level more about discipline, never to give up and how to be brave and to push to the limit to reach your target. I love karting because I love the rush of racing and Formula One. And this is where I wish to reach one day. And I love it more because our UAA karting community who became my family. Great to hear from, from Zane then, obviously a ringing endorsement. Just quickly, um, we're, unfortunately we're running out of time, Faisal, but obviously everybody's going back to school tomorrow, the parents are heading back. What would you say to, to, to mums and dads, a bit stressed maybe, um, not intentionally, but they'll find themselves with their foot just pressing on the accelerator a bit. What, what sort of message would you say to them about driving safely and slowing down? Um, especially with, with back to school, I think DACA was designed to be an after-school activity, mm. um, and it's a stepping stone into karting. So if if your child is interested in in mechanical sports, whether it's go karts or, or any other mechanical sports, you can uh, you can uh, you know you can you can hone their skill in uh, in DACA, and it's it's extremely convenient because it's. Uh, it's designed to be an after-school activity, so you can take them to karate or horseback riding or karting. Mm. Well, thanks very much for joining us on the line. Really appreciate it. Uh, that was Faisal there from uh, Dubai Autodrome. Uh, Dubai Autodrome Karting Academy as well. Thanks to everyone who joined us on the programme uh, today, this morning. Really appreciate your support and your phone calls and your messages. Uh, the show will continue in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, until then, see you later.